You're listening to Trending with Timory. So, what's trending? There's a man who's been very influential in Father Rocky's life. That's St. Jose Maria Escrivá. He's the founder of Opus Dei, which is the order that Father Rocky belongs to. Father, share with us a little bit about St. Jose Maria Escrivá. Timory, it's great to be on your show. You've been on air three months, and uh, you're just doing a great job. So... Um, I never knew St. Josemaria personally, but I've known a lot of people who knew him, lived with him, and uh, were, were deeply influenced by him. So um, I would say what made him so special is uh, the effect he had on, a, on other people who had a big effect on me. Right. So when mm-hmm. I was a youngster in uh, junior high school and high school and college, I knew a lot of people who had been, in a sense, formed by St. Josemaria. And I really looked up to him because there were guys who were truly virtuous um, honest and uh, very knowledgeable about the faith and very knowledgeable about other things going on uh, in life and in the world. And um, also, uh, I would say, very joyful and e- extraordinarily charitable. And those are key features of the authenticity of the Christian way, joy and charity, which is the love of God and love of others. And that love of others manifests itself in terms of your patience with people and your support of them, always trying to put them in the best light, always trying to think the best of them, always having a good word to say about people. That's the real challenge. I was listening to a podcast recently of Father Peter Arminio, and he discusses how the many people when he was first becoming a priest, or before he even decided to become a priest, knew, quote, the Father. And they were referring to then Jose Maria Escrivá, who wasn't a saint yet. He was living still. In fact, mm-hmm. for those who don't know, he died in 1975. He truly is a modern-day saint. And how Father Peter kept meeting these people who knew this man, who they referred to as the Father. And every time they spoke of him, they just lit up with joy. And he finally asked people, like, what's so sm- special about this guy, the father? Like, why is he so intriguing in bringing this response to so many people's lives? Can you tell us a little bit more about why these people saw him in this light? And it really transformed not just, like, who they were, but how they interacted in those conversations. Yeah, I would say he was very accessible to people. You could get to know him. Um, you could live with him. You could talk with him. You could dine with him. You could uh, spend time with him. So that's very important for any kind of relationship. It wasn't a theoretical relationship. And um, he, you mentioned that um, he's a modern-day saint. That's true uh, to a great extent because he died relatively recently uh, in, in terms of church history. He died in 1975. He was beatified 17 years later, 1992. I was there at that beatification. It was just about a month before he was ordained as a priest. And then he was canonized as a saint in 2002. But as for a modern-day saint, we're really blessed that we've got audio recordings of him speaking, but also videos of him uh, talking and evangelizing. And uh, really one of the very first uh, saints that we've got this video and film recording of this person uh, in action. And um, they, they would refer to him as, a, as the father because in Opus Dei we kind of consider ourselves a family. In a family, you've got a mother and a father, you've got brothers and sisters, you've got children, you've got grandparents and all that. Technically speaking, Opus Dei in the church is what's known as a personal prelature. So it's sort of like a diocese, but without any sort of geographical um, limitation. We wouldn't think of ourselves as a religious order, but we do have you know, this kind of family spirit, a spirituality. And um, as a father, uh, people could depend on him to uh, support him, to give guidance and all that, and to point the way to Christ. And those people I know who knew him and lived with him 
uh, found that uh, he was a very joyful person and extraordinarily charitable. One of the little stories I tell, I didn't witness it myself, but I know a guy who was uh, a, a person who was a, a, actually a protagonist in this event. It was in May of 1970, and uh, Father uh, Monsignor Escriva was in Mexico City to make a nine-day pilgrimage to um, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And one day, um, after lunch, they were going to have a get-together with the college students and the college residents. And in this particular living room, they had four, um, uh, I would say, steps of stairs, almost like benches, that you'd, like bleachers, where uh, you know, people could sit around, and uh, rather informal. And um, you could sit down on, on the bleacher itself, or there would be toss uh, throw cushions to sit under. And as St. Rosemary was about to sit down, a fellow next to him, an American named Jack Solarski, who later became a priest, may he rest in peace, he died a few years ago from cancer, he saw that the, the founder of Opus Dei was just going to sit down on the hard um, cushion, uh, the hard platform, and so he put his cushion underneath him, and they both sat down. And by the time uh, Jack sat down, the cushion was back underneath him. And he looked at St. Rosemaria, and St. Rosemary just sort of winked. You know, In other words, he didn't want people to serve him, and he was always attentive to the needs of the others. And the joy that he got was the joy of knowing that he's a son of God, living in the state of grace and close to Christ with a great sense of the uh, presence of God and the awareness of the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph and the guardian angels. And I, I, I would suppose why people would consider him so special is because he knew how to communicate. Right? They, they just people listened to what he had to say. And I, I would compare his writings very much to the writings of Mother Teresa of, of Calcutta, St. Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not usually familiar with Mother Teresa writing books. After she died, uh, somebody collected a number of her little writings and sayings and put it in a book called Mother Teresa in My Own Words. And I got a copy of this book. I was living at that time in 1996, 1997, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the bishop of the diocese at that time, uh, Cardinal World, Bishop World at that time, made sure every priest who was living and working in the diocese got a copy of this book, Mother Teresa in My Own Words. And it was divided into, I don't know, 12 or 15 chapters. And I started to read it, and I said, boy, she writes just like St. Rosemary wrote. Short points, clear to the point, convincing, confident, uh, thought-provoking. And that was kind of his writing. He, uh, he could just kind of uh, go right to uh, the center of the issue and... Um, uh, you know, simplify things. And so when he was a young priest, he would give away copies of uh, books of the life of Christ. And inside the front cover, he would write a dedication, which simplifies the whole spiritual life. He would write, may you seek Christ, may you find Christ, may you love Christ. And in a sense, that's a plan for one's entire life. May you seek Christ, may you find Christ, may you love Christ. And if you seek Christ, you will find him. And if you find him, you will love him. And that's really the question that we need to ask ourselves, especially when people are vexed or worried or upset or depressed. The question they've got to ask themselves, am I seeking Christ? And in a sense, in our, in our life, it really comes down to I'm either seeking Christ or I'm seeking myself. And we can seek Christ by seeking him in service to others. And uh, that's, that's why I say he was so special. I mean, it had a remarkable impact on people. By the time he died, he had left behind an institution in the service church with over 60,000 members in, I don't know, 30, 40 countries, 1,000 priests. And it's only grown since that time with 2,000 priests and bishops and cardinals and you know, hundreds of 100,000 lay people committed to seeking sanctity in the middle of ordinary life, um, immersed in the sacraments, immersed in prayer, but also immersed in you know, tangible 
um, service to your neighbor, beginning with your neighbor at home, right? Mom and dad, brothers, sisters, children, all the rest. That's Father Rocky. He's the executive director of Relevant Radio joining us today on Trending with Timory. One of the things that I've heard people often say about the father that is a St. Jose Maria Escrivá when he was living is that his own friends or those who he mentored or those in this community of Opus Dei that he founded literally believed that he was a living saint. And when you look at some of the stories that we hear, for example, about when he was preparing to celebrate his 50th anniversary of his ordination and how he didn't want a big to-do and he commented on how he really wished to, quote, hide and disappear and for Jesus alone to shine. I see that so much so in much of what you're sharing in your own priesthood, Father Rocky. How has this leadership within Opus Dei, given to us by the example of St. Jose Maria, really impacted you and your priesthood? All right, so for him, the great ideal was service. Um, and if the service could be done and people wouldn't know who did it, all the better. And he picked that up from the uh, teachings of Christ when Jesus said, I've not come to be served, but to serve. And um, in the early years, when uh, the first lay men of Opus Dei were being ordained as priests, and I think, in fact, this may have continued throughout his whole life, he would not go to the ordinations of the of these men when they were ordained as priests for the simple reason he didn't want to be the center of attention and get all sorts of applause and congratulations, which is, is really quite something, right? And he continued with that theme kind of throughout his life to do and disappear and to give the glory to God as much as he possibly could. And so it made sense on his 50th anniversary. He didn't want to have a big to-do. Of course, everybody wanted around it wanted him to make a big to-do. And it just so happened that God in his providence figured out that the anniversary of his 50th ordination priesthood would fall on Good Friday that year, when you can't do anything anyway, right? You can't have a big party or, or feast. And it, it seemed very fitting for his 50th anniversary as a priest. It would be celebrated on the feast of, uh, or the, the actual day of Good Friday that year, 1975. Father Rocky, I have to tell you a story. About a month ago, we were running the show, and at the end of the show, all these calls suddenly started coming in. And I didn't realize that they were prayer intentions for the family rosary Mm. that were coming in. And people asking for prayers for really difficult circumstances. And I've got five minutes left in the show, and I'm looking at the time, and I'm panicking as I realize, (laughs) how do I talk about this person who's mourning this situation and this job loss? And then... I finally go, I can't handle this during the show. I have, you know, three minutes now. And so I finish the show and then I realize that they're prayer intentions for the family rosary. And it reminds me that each evening people are interacting with you live during the live rosary. And you're so joyful in the midst of the sad prayers, the needs, the longings of people. What's the source of this joy for you while you're handling everything that's coming at you as a priest and in the midst of what we're experiencing in the world right now. Well, I have to give a lot of the credit to the spirit of Opus Dei that I've learned in Opus Dei. So St. Rosemary would used to say, you know, we don't usually talk about bad news because that's not news. Bad news is going all the time. So let's focus on the good news. And that's not being Pollyannish that I hopefully calls for a deeper trust in Christ. You know, there's Mary at the foot of the cross She's sorrowful, but she's not overwhelmed because she had meditated on the words of our Lord. She knew this wasn't the end of it. And we have that faith that no matter how the su- how bad the suffering is, and, and quite frankly, sometimes the suffering is really, really, really hard, and we need to acknowledge that. But we always have hope 
that there's something better that the Lord has in store for us, which is, um, you know, the fruit of his, his grace, you know, ultimately eternal life. But I'm glad you mentioned the prayer intentions that come in through the Family Rosary Across America. You know, as a youngster in my own family, we would pray the Family Rosary in the living room. I don't know if we prayed it every evening or we just prayed at different times of the year, like May or the month of October. But when I got involved in Opus Dei as a youngster, it was always part of the day that we'd pray the rosary. And it seemed, okay, well, this makes sense. And um, I've always thought that Marian devotion, any kind of institution in church is a, a real good sign that they're, they're on track. And I, later I learned that uh, St. Rosemary was very devoted to Our Lady. And he would pray the rosary, all the mysteries every day. And he built a great shrine in honor of our Blessed Mother. And he would tell the people who were kind of his protégés, um, he was aware that because he was a charismatic person, a, uh, a big personality, that there could develop around him a cult of personality. And he would say to the people, look, don't imitate me in anything. Right? I'm not the one to imitate. Imitate Jesus. And then he would say, but if you are going to try to imitate me in something, try to imitate me in my love for the Blessed Mother, as I don't think he can outdo me in that. That's Father Rocky here on Trending with Tim Ray. We'll be right back during our happy hour, and we'll talk about how we find ourselves wanting more out of life, wanting to be happy. How can we do that? We'll discuss that in just a moment. Tim Ray will be right back. You can reach her on Instagram and Twitter at Tim Ray. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I want to extend an invitation for you to join me if you haven't heard the news. Trending with Timory is now daily on Relevant Radio, Monday through Friday. That's at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Now, here's the exciting thing. We now have a daily podcast. So I want to encourage you to go and subscribe to the podcast. We have our very own Relevant Radio app where you can listen to all the podcasts of Trending, pause, play, and even share them. Or you can now subscribe again on your favorite podcasting apps, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or let us know where you want to hear us. That way you can access your favorite podcast, of course, Trending with Timory, and not miss a single one of those options for the daily shows and the various topics that we cover. Check out the links below in the description where you can find the links to your favorite podcasting locations because we have two separate podcasts. I want to make sure you're getting that daily dose so that you can go a little bit deeper. And don't forget, if you want us to talk about a specific topic or you have a question, just head over to relevantradio.com slash trending where you can connect on social media and ask your questions. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Every Monday we're here talking about happiness from various perspectives. And we're going to talk here about how so many people are finding themselves, after having gone through this quarantine, that their eyes have been open to the fact that they want more in life. In fact, I know of a young couple with children who discovered during quarantine while being home with each other all the time and having their children running about them for day after day, after day, without leaving the house or having anyone around, they found themselves arguing less. They discovered that they were really enjoying their time more than they had before. 
I hear of other people who, for the first time in years, are getting outside, exercising again, going for a bike ride, a hike, enjoying the outdoors. And it makes me think of this quote we're talking about, St. Jose Maria Escriva with Father Rocky here on Trending. And there's this quote where St. Jose Maria says, the world crises are crises of saints. And I think about the coronavirus and how this is our chance to shine. This is so much of what St. Jose Maria encouraged, that sense of service and shining. Father Rocky, our director here, executive director at Relevant Radio, has joined me. How does this quote, do you think, really relate to what's happening in the world right now? Sure, great question. So he wrote that in his first book called The Way, Probably in the 1930s, either before or during the Spanish Civil War, which is a time of great commotion, great suffering, persecution, he wrote, these world crises are crises of saints. God wants a handful of men and women of his own in this world, and then we'll have the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. So what really matters is try to be a saint. What is, who is a saint? What is a saint? A saint is someone who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, and imitates Jesus, and has that joy uh, of serving others. And so um, I, I've heard this from a lot of people because of the quarantine. They're thinking, you know, um, maybe I don't have to travel as much. Maybe I don't have to work as much. Um, it's great being around my family. And here in the Chicago area, I've seen things I haven't seen in 40, 50 years. Families walking in the street, husbands and wives holding hands, walking down the street. I'm going, mm-hmm. this is like from the 1950s, and they're happy about that. They're great to have that time together. And uh, I once had a spiritual director in Opus Dei who told me 99% of personal problems can be solved with eight hours of sleep, bacon and eggs, mm. and coffee in the morning. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we recognize that in youngsters, right? If they're crying or they're, they're upset, we say they're tired. We don't recognize that in, old, in, 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 in grown-ups when they're cranky or uncharitable or nasty or annoying. We don't normally say, well, they're tired. We, we just kind of say uh, they're bad people, right? But um, there's a real close link between the body and the soul. And this was a um, phrase that St. Husband would comment upon. He would take the original Italian and translate it, and it says, when the body's healthy, the soul dances or the soul sings. Is that it could sound almost hedonistic, but there's a link to that, you know, because we're body and soul. We have to take care of our body. We need rest. We need sleep. We need recreation. We need time off from work. And uh, boy, the pace was pretty hectic right up till the uh, shutdown of everything. Flying here, flying there, traveling here, doing this. And, uh, and I think a lot of people said, you know, it's just great to be at home with my mm-hmm. wife, with my children, with my husband, with my kids, and, and do nothing and take walks. So um, that's all part of it. You know, the body and soul. I go together. So I think um, it's great what you say. People have said, you know, there's been less arguing. Um, And maybe it's because they're less tired, right? They're getting more Mm -hmm. exercise. It's so fascinating to me because I think often we think we need divine intervention for something. And we forget the fact that God created our bodies with particular needs. And maybe that's the simple natural intervention that God is giving us of Maybe rather than, you know, praying for this great miracle, we need to sleep a little bit more. We need, you know, to engage with friends and family more. We need to exercise. That reminds me of, we were speaking not too long ago, Father, and you shared a secret that apparently not a lot of people know about, that you were actually a gymnast (laughs) many years ago. Where did did that slip out? I'm guilty. 
I am very guilty because I shared that with someone else. They went, I had no idea. So tell us a little bit about what you did. (laughs) Ancient history. Ancient history. I grew up in a small town in North Chicago, Mundelein. At the time, population twelve or 16,000. Every kid in town played uh, Little League baseball. And if you could get on the Little League football team, you got that too. So I played probably seven years of Little League baseball. Uh, Loved it. That's all we did. And then, um, you know, you go out for the basketball team, but that's a lot more competitive. <laughs> Football team in high school, unless you're... You're showing off all the real manly ones for no, his father. No, anyway, so <laughs> uh, football in high school, unless you're the quarterback, you don't really get the ball. And um, so, uh, you know, freshman year I did tennis, and I, 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 I signed up for the gymnastics team because back then they had trampoline, which they don't have now. All right, so trampoline was, I thought it was awesome. You know, you go way up in the air. <laughs> And you do double flips or maybe even a triple flip and things like that. Um, they substituted finally for the vault, which, um, you know, it takes a little bit more. But yeah, I did that mm-hmm. for uh, four years. Uh, we had a great team. One of my teammates um, got a scholarship to a Big Ten school. He won the state championship on the high bar his senior year. And uh, it was pretty intense. Um, you know this because you, you've been a dancer. But I learned in high school, you just take one day off from training. It takes you mm-hmm. three days to get back in shape. You know, so the workouts back in high school were three hours a day from November 1st until March 15th. And if you really wanted to get good in the sport, even back then, this is 40 years ago, um, you, you, you had to choose one sport and really focus on it. And you'd go to sports camps in the summer and all that. But, um, yeah, and what I learned from that, uh, I, I, you know, um, it was very important. I said, you know, my sports ability is limited, right? So how am I going to contribute to this team? I've got to select what I can do, and i got to do it perfectly. And that's how my mm-hmm. contribution is going to be to the team. So I never scored in the nines or the tens or things like that. But if I could get a, a, a well-executed routine on the side horse, I could, you know, on a good day get seven, seven and a half points. And that, that counted for something. And um, I, I've learned you don't have to be um, the best to be able to contribute, but you've got to do the best you can with what you've got. You remind me in so many ways of that active robustness uh, that my dad has. I mean, he could jump on water skis and not have water skied for 15 years. And he's up (laughs) and going. Uh, You know, he can jump in and play tennis and basketball. I mean, you name it, he'll do it. And I know you often engage in so many different activities. I hear from you, you're going water skiing, you know, playing golf. Why is it that exercise and being outside has been so important to you? And how does that relate to our spiritual life? Well, I love the outdoors, especially when the weather is beautiful. And I, I guess I like motion and speed and velocity and height and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So, yes, I, whenever I get the chance, I love to go snow skiing. And um, I find it invigorating. And uh, there, there's something that goes on, too. You know, if you ski hard for a couple of days, you really pick up build up a, uh, uh, an abundance of endorphins. You'd know more about that mm-hmm. than I do, right? And that can kind of get through you through the winter glum climate in the Midwest where it's cold and it's dreary and it's dark and all that. Interesting. Um, water skiing is exhilarating, um, but you need to be in shape for that, especially if you wipe out in the water. Um, I do more these days. I like to take bike, bike rides. Um, you know, on a good morning, I can squeeze in a 10-mile ride. If I go more time on the weekend, a 24, 34-mile ride. Wow. You know, uh, with the right occasion, maybe a 50-mile ride. It all depends who I go riding with. Um, that's great, and it's good for the body. It clears the head and all that. So um, those are more of the sports I would do these days. If I get the chance, um, golf, um, that's very limited these days. I used to put a lot more on as a chaplain of a boys' school because I had more opportunities. It, it takes a lot of time. But it's a great sport. You learn a lot about people on a golf course. 
Uh, you learn a lot about their character. Uh, but I think it's important to be outdoors if you get it. But my primary duty is to be a priest, all right? So if I have a priestly obligation, uh, that comes first. And I, I always love that. And sometimes there's great stories about that. And I know that God is good enough. He provides what I need when I need it, right? I, I've mm-hmm. learned that much about God. God is very good. He provides what I need when I need it. And, um, you know, and my body's not my own, right? So we read about St. Paul. He says, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So I have a duty um, as part of the fifth commandment to try to take care of my health so that I can serve the Lord and serve other people um, for a long, long time. You know, that that's kind of the, the key, the spirit of Opus Dei. And so I remember when I was 17 years old, I joined Opus Dei. They were kind of uh, giving me the training. And one of the things they said, we don't retire. Is that, uh, do you accept that? Well, when you're 17, of course you can accept that. You don't even think, you haven't even started working yet, right? But I've seen these guys in Opus Dei, these priests in Opus Dei who are in their 80s, still, you know, hearing confessions, preaching, celebrating Mass, joyful as it can be. And I find it, um, I find it quite inspiring. You know, I said, that's kind of, uh, that's what I want to be when I get to be that age. I want to, I don't want to give up on life on a young age. It's incredible to hear just the level of activity that so many of us don't engage in. And then when you see it or you have the opportunity, you know, I heard from someone the other day, I went hiking for the first time ever. I had never done that before. It was mm-hmm. so fantastic. It was elating and delightful. And I love how you bring up that you have to kind of allow the opportunities that God provides for you. And I think that this is where balance comes in, the prayer life and being open to what happens day to day. So often we say, no, I have this work. And we think that only our work is our sense of responsibility. And we forget that activity and caring for our body is a part of our responsibility as well. Oh, it certainly is. You know, I was blessed for um, 30, 35 years to work with youngsters, and uh, many of those occasions would include vigorous work or sports, climbing mountains and things of that sort, which is good for everyone because it toughens you up. It's not easy to climb a mountain. You know, you're forming people in fortitude and perseverance and self-knowledge and all the rest. Also giving youngsters confidence. Oh, I actually can do that. I actually did climbed to the top of that 15,000-foot mountain in the middle of Mexico when I thought I couldn't do that. It gives them a tremendous confidence. Or, oh, I can actually jump off that 15-foot um, cliff into the river and uh, conquer my fear. Um, it, not that you're um, mandating that anyone does that, but it's kind of a rite of passage for a young man to, to grow in confidence. I, I love seeing people kind of grow in confidence, doing things they didn't think they could do. And then you tie that into spiritual life. You know, we can pray on top of a mountain. We can pray in the bottom of a cave. We can pray in a church. We can pray in a plane. We can pray anywhere because God is everywhere. And yet there are times where we want to be completely devoted uh, to Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, in church. And I, I think that's something really attracted me to Opus Dei as a youngster. They, boy, they took the Eucharist, like, really seriously. And um, liturgy very seriously and confession very seriously. And that was, that was a great help to me. So I've been... Uh, tremendously blessed. And I would say, you know, I guess kind of summarize what attracted me over the day as a youngster. And I probably couldn't articulate it at the time, but I, I would say it was the joy of people, their charity, and their kindness. And uh, that's never left, right? Um, I, I still get more kindness and charity than I deserve uh, by my brothers and, and sisters in Opus Dei, and I, I hope to pass that on. I don't think I'm a great example of that, but, um, you know, this this is something that's uh, it's truly... Um, from Christ, you know, and that's what we all hunger for, Christ. 
That's Father Rocky. He's here during our happy hour on Trending. We'll have to have you back again, Father Rocky. Well, we'll next right time back. I come, i got to interview you, all right? <laughs> okay, Find we'll flip the table. <laughs> all about Trending with Timory and the great things you bring to the air. So we're really happy uh, you're on air and you can share so much of your own sense, insights with people all over the country. Thank you for being with us, Father Rocky. We'll be right back here on Trending with Timory. You can listen to more of Trending with Timory via the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com slash trending.